You're listening to WNHH 103.5 FM in New Haven. This is The Table Underground, and I'm your host, Hagen Engel. You're listening to stories about food, radical love, and creative social justice. Today's show is with three fabulous New Haven folks that I'm really excited to talk to. And I welcomed each of you here because I really care about hearing about people's stories in their own words. And so thank you for joining me in studio today. This is a live show. And so let's go down the line and I'll let you introduce yourself. So Miss Genesis Vicente, can you tell people who you are? What do you, what do, you do in life and food? Hi, so my name is Genesis Vicente and I'm Guatemalan. I'm 24 years old and I work with Lathan Austin on food system work in New Haven. So I'm the food system administrator in New Haven right now. Awesome. I'm Latha Swami. I'm the um, new director of food system policy for the city of New Haven. I've been here about four and a half years. Um, and I'm originally from Georgia and I'm Indian American. And I work with these two lovely people on food system work in New Haven. Awesome. Hey. Hey. I'm Austin Brynjarski. Uh I'm a New Haven resident. I've been here for six years now. Um, and I get to hang out with these guys uh, as, the, as a member of the New Haven Food Policy Council. Uh, and I'm also a student at the Yale School of Forestry. Excellent. So as I said, I really care about story and, and kind of hearing people's stories and perspectives in their own words. And I thought that we could maybe start with something personal about food memories and I'm curious if each of you could share something about an earliest food memory that is important to you. Anybody want to start? Yeah, I can. Go ahead, Lotha. Um, One thing that I was thinking about recently is that um, I'm Indian American. My parents are from India, specifically South India. And um, one thing that I really associate with childhood and maybe, you know, when I get sick, you know, the kind of that comforting feeling is actually being fed by your parents, but fed by hand. Mm. So culturally, um, you know, we um, in Indian culture eat a lot of our food by hand. Um, so we don't use utensils. And I actually was kind of missing that recently. And it was kind of reminding me about my, um, you know, being sick and, you know, like being like, mom, feed me by hand. It's like, <laughs> feels so much better when you feed mm. me by hand. And um, I thought that was kind of a, um, it was a sweet memory that came into my mind recently. Mm, that's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Austin, did you have a story you wanted to share? Oh, I just said nose goes because I didn't want to go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, then we'll pass it back to Genesis. So for me, what I remember the most is, so I'm originally from New York. I grew up in Long Island. Um, my parents were undocumented for a long time and we lived in Glencoe, New York. So I remember being a child and my mom always cooking breakfast, making like chorizo and huevos, frijoles, mm-hmm. tortillas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like growing up, she would she started going to beauty school. And um, so she started off cleaning houses and then realized that her passion was doing hair. Mm-hmm. So she went back to beauty school. And during that time frame, she would work, um, go to school in the morning and at night so like we wouldn't see her Mm. so at that period of time was when like she started cooking for us less but that's where my tia stepped in so that was my dad's sister and she cooks amazing and to this day like she still cooks for me when i go home to new york so Mm. i just remember like 
the two of them, my mom and my tia, really just cooking for us all the time. And even to this day, like sometimes I'll be at home in my apartment. I'm like, I'm craving frijoles right now. Like I need frijoles. I need tortillas. Like that's what I grew up on. Yeah. What um what kind of frijoles did they make? Frijoles negros, so black beans. Mm. And what was special about them? Like, did they have a really strong certain so, flavor of certain spices or garlic or onion? Or- growing up, they were actually not my favorite thing to eat. And it wasn't until I went to college that I was like, wow, like I truly miss black beans. <laughs> mm. Did they ever teach you how to make them? Um, I kind of make them. I cheat. I don't make them from scratch. <laughs> so no, I don't really make them. But I do want to learn how to make them by myself. <laughs> nice. But yeah, they have like that garlic and that oniony taste. Yeah. Mm. Nice. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. <laughs> and uh, Austin, you know, before you start, just yeah. in, in the, the um, just thinking about racial justice work. Mm-hmm. So like two folks here who are brown just introduce themselves as their cultural background and we didn't hear your cultural background so yeah. in the name of like unwhitening whiteness like yeah. what's your cultural background i'm a and white person yeah, so we did. Yeah. last night yeah but, we did. but you're not i mean what what culture within whiteness uh polish american <laughs> okay um i grew up outside of chicago which is actually one of the i think it's the second largest um like community of polish people outside of warsaw in the mm. world so even more than like most polish towns yeah um and yeah and thinking about like food memories that are super germane to my childhood i think of my um grandparents making pierogi and sauerkraut and um uh cabbage rolls um you know things like that that are super warm and super like carb heavy and super sour and um my grandpa um he passed away last year, so he's he's really coming up a lot as I um, think about uh, embarking home for the holidays. Mm. Um, but he was like pickling before it was sexy, right? <laughs> or he was like make canning sauerkraut before you know hipsters found it. Um, so yeah, um, it's a lot of like those kinds of foods that um, are super resonant: beets and sour yeah. cream and um, yeah. Latha and I, as she said, we're talking last night and we were talking about how like new britain has this amazing polish community that i have not at all interacted with um but it's something we we should uh i think it's time for a day trip to get some some pierogi that's awesome Uh, yeah i think a lot also about the importance of connecting with ancestral foods Mm -hmm. as like part of undoing racism work just like connecting with who we are and what our identity is and i think also very important. I mean, for all peoples, but also as white people, like not just being a group of white people, but yeah. realizing like, oh, we have cultures and differences. And so food and I love like fermenting and pickling is such mm-hmm. an amazing thing because cultures across the whole world ferment and pickle and thinking like this isn't just like a hipster thing. This is actually no, like yeah. your ancestral food wisdom and, oh, completely. and skills. So that's really awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I think um, being so my I think my grandparents were born in the US, too. So there there's like um like more generations of distance from like Mm -hmm. thinking about myself as polish or polish american um and i remember growing up like there were um a lot of my classmates their parents had like immigrated to the u.s like in uh and and they were they were first generation so i remember going to school and thinking like oh i'm not like polish enough or or like i don't know the language and um yeah i think that's super important in, in these conversations about racial justice how do we like like what do we what do we lose um when we like take on the identity of whiteness and Mm -hmm. and how do we get that back yeah yeah absolutely 
So I'll share a food memory too, which is always hard because like, for some reason I have an incredibly clear memory of my childhood. So there's like a thousand men. people are like, how do you remember all those things? But one of my earliest food memories is that my mom, so I grew up in New Haven and, um, and I'm first generation here. Um, my mom used to, she worked in the public schools in other surrounding towns, but mm-hmm. she used to bake out of our house and deliver desserts to a local restaurant that used to be called Annie's Firehouse. Um, and so she used to bake these amazing things in our house. And one time she made these meringues that were like gigantic, like, you know, a huge pile, the kind of meringue that you dry in the oven. Mm-hmm. And so it was, um, you'd put it, you'd turn the oven on and make these meringues out of egg whites and sugar. And then you'd put them in the oven and then turn the oven off. And so they'd, they'd dry out overnight. Wow. And I have this really clear memory from this apartment that we lived in of her pulling this tray out of the oven. And they just looked like these white sugary clouds mm. and I really wanted to eat them and I'm not <laughs> sure if I got to eat them or not. <laughs> oh. but it's just this really clear memory of that moment of her pulling them out and they just seemed like magic like meringue just seemed to take an egg white and turn it into meringue just seemed like magic and that was one of the first things that I ever learned to, to cook mm-hmm. as a kid so we had like a mixer and I just used to sit there you have to add the sugar mm-hmm. really slow so that it dissolves into the egg whites and so that was like my job as a kid to like to make meringue and we would make them for passover because it has no flour in it so it was that became my my childhood baking job so that's one of my earliest memories so i guess it's we just all shared some things about interest in food but you all we all work in food and lathal why don't we start with you like what um what has kind of inspired you or guided you into working in food and i know that's not all you work in but um it i guess uh the food part but also the other components of your work like health and environmental work and things that are related can you share about what led you into doing the work that you're doing in life mm-hmm. um i guess centrally i kind of view food as a perfect nexus between health and environment and kind of my educational trajectory is um uh, I went to medical school, um, actually when I was 18, <laughs> Wow! Um, I went to college when I was 14. And, um, so I came to New York, uh, for a medical school program. It was joint degree with a PhD as well. And I was focusing on neuroscience. And so, um, during my time in medical school for about five years, I was seeing patients and, um, I was kind of becoming more aware. I always had an interest in the environment, but I was becoming a little bit more aware about how the environment was affecting my patient's health. And so I decided to move into health policy and do this fellowship advocating for universal health care in the United States. And during that work, I was realizing that actually I can get even more macro and, you know, the environment really is kind of a um, root cause for a lot of health issues and specifically looking at food and um, kind of uh, the health and environmental aspects of food. And um, I started, I entered the farm school program at Just Food NYC, Mm -hmm. uh, which is amazing. I love that program. I love Just Food. Um, So it's an urban ag certificate program. And that, while I was in that program is when I applied to the Yale School of Forestry. So I'm an alum from the forestry school as well. So Educationally, I've had this trajectory from like med school to forestry school, but always had this kind of food and ag um, grounding me as the thing or kind of like guiding me right to, to these different things. And um, I think it's just uh, fits well with 
this idea of uh, planetary health and, um, you know, it, it connects with culture. Um, and that's kind of what guided me. Food kind of guided me with my uh, professional trajectory into this work and um, working. I was working globally a lot, um, but I recently moved into this like municipal level work and um, it's very interesting to see how this local food system connects to the global food system um, and then trying to work on like centering justice in in um, municipal level work that actually translates to this global level work with all of the great people that are working on it in New Haven. Um, Can you explain for people who don't really know what we're talking about like with some of the things you just said what can you give an example of like how a local thing would connect with a global thing in terms of food work or food systems or environmental work? Let's see. What would be a good example? I don't know if anybody else has a example off the top of their head. I mean, sort of just thinking about like addressing issues of like hunger or food insecurity um, from from a perspective of justice rather than from a perspective. Thank you. A perspective of um, like charity and the way. Um, that like particular movements around food or movements around um, the right, like thinking about food as a human right, um, these very like global sort of framings, um, like how do you operationalize them at the local level or how do you, how do you bring the way that folks are talking about, uh, you know, ways to, to address the root causes, for example, of what creates um, a community to experience hunger. Um, in very like concrete local ways. Yeah, I think you know it. It you know what I see a lot happening in um, on the local context is you know it feels good to kind of uh, provide a meal for someone, um, but when you think about the root causes, you know this is it's I'm, that's kind of like what drove me in uh, looking at things in a more macro level. I love seeing patients one on one, but I realized that in order to actually affect like population health or kind of um, move systems, you need to work on a larger like policy level or systemic level and target the root cause. So it feels good to feel, feed someone directly. Um, but when you think about the global food system, you know, you're thinking about how, you know, food is um, kind of moving. Um, across borders and how trade policy affects that, how that affects, you know, like worker rights and um, immigrant justice. And, um, you know, these things are all connected to literally providing food to someone and kind of thinking bigger picture. Yeah. And also, why does that person need food? Right. Mm, yeah. So like what has happened to our global economy that people don't have livable wages. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not just poverty. It's also racism because re like there are intentional policies that have kept people brown and black peoples impoverished. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not just about money and class. It's about their race and not allowing them to benefit from social programs and, and other things. And so mm -hmm. um, I think it's so important to have these conversations about system change because it's really hard, I think, for the average person to understand how to make that jump from like someone in front of me is hungry and I want to help them. Of course, like we all want to help people. And um, but then how to make that jump to that we're not that it's not effective to just keep putting Band-Aids on everything that we actually need to figure out how to change the system so that people aren't hungry, so that people have a livable wage, that people have food that 
that nourishes them, not kills them, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like the, that understanding both of those things and, and how to work on those is so important. And I think one example that um, Genesis and I have talked about at work is, you know, looking at um, food and place and understanding, you know, a lot of people ask me about food deserts and, you know, moving away from the term food deserts to food apartheid because it's a purposeful thing that happened that created kind of areas that have restricted access to food, any food or fresh food. Um, and, and we know that that's redlining. Yeah. Um, so um, looking at kind of not just, you know, thinking about systems, but also looking back, right, at history and how this uh, was established in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Would you like to tell a little, maybe jump on to <laughs> that and then tell us about like, how did you get where you are? In yeah, life right so now? we've been working on a lot of cool stuff. We've been kind of working on some breastfeeding advocacy um, throughout the city and also like school food stuff, which really interests me. So I got into food because of my tia and my mom. <laughs> Growing up, seeing them cook, it made me really like and enjoy cooking. So I went to culinary school. I went to Johnson Wells University in Providence, Rhode Island, and I, you know, did culinary there. But then while I was studying, I realized the importance of culinary nutrition. So I actually changed my um, concentration for my bachelor's to culinary nutrition. And I did an internship in New Orleans with the Gold Ring Center for Culinary Medicine. Um, And that really, like, I loved my internship. I was able to basically teach um, community members cooking classes for free. And we would um, teach them basic cooking skills, you know, like how to hold a knife, how to cut an onion. And we had like, we had students, medical students come into the um, teaching kitchen. We had like VA that was there. Um, It was really a diverse group. We had families, children, and just working with the community there really impacted me. And I was actually talking to the thought about this the other day. I was coming from New Orleans. I was like, I want to do this work you know, back in New York, back in Connecticut. And um, so I had an idea that I wanted to move to Connecticut after college. And so, you know, working now in the food system of New Haven, it's kind of like come full circle where I was in New Orleans and I was like thinking about this work and I wanted to be in this type of work. And then now here I am like three years later doing the work. So it's really, I think it's an important, it's important that we're, you know, addressing these issues here in New Haven and trying to like Litha was mentioning you know this is all connected everything's connected and it's also like at a global you know thinking about it about it mac you know in a macro perspective it's like global work too so i don't know i think it's really important and food is life (laughs) yes yes absolutely so just for our listeners you're listening to wnhh 103.5 fm in new haven we're streaming live at newhavenindependent.org and you can also check us out on the tableunderground.com so i want to ask you genesis a follow-up question to that uh, we're, we're in studio today with three fabulous folks who work <laughs> on food and life community building the environment food justice all kinds of good stuff and um i'm curious because we were just talking about kind of working on a systems level and you're also talking about working on a one-on-one individual level with food education, nutrition education. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about um, why you feel that's important and also how you feel that kind of work can be effective? Yeah. So I think 
especially I have an interest in like um, educating younger kids. And I think that that's really important. Um, You know, you have to teach them when they're young. So I think that like there's a lot of education that needs to happen. I know like growing up, I, I mentioned like I remember eating chorizo like basically every weekend and chorizo is not good to eat, you know, and like after a few years, my mom like realized, okay, that's not really something that we should be eating every weekend or, you know, too often because it's not good for your health. Um, So I think it's really important to just like educate our communities, especially our communities of color. Um, I think a lot of work has been done in nutrition, but like I feel like people just tell them, you know, go eat quinoa and go eat like kale. And I don't know, for communities of color, that's just not it. So you need to think deeper and think of like things that are culturally like appropriate for our peoples of color. And so I think that that's really important and I'm really passionate about doing that. Um, you know, Can my you interest share? in food. Yeah. So I actually also did a, um, I worked for New Haven Farms over the summer and I was able to develop like recipes for the kids, for the youth um, farm, farm-based wellness program. And so that this past summer was amazing to just like be with the kids and like, you know, show them this is how you grow a tomato plant you know and this is how we can eat tomatoes and kind of like just make it in a way that they're you know more susceptible to trying new foods and also like genuinely enjoying them at first they were kind of skeptical and were like "Mm, I don't know if I want to eat that but by the end of it most of them were more like willing to try new things so I think that's super important and that's more of like on the one-to-one like really like you know personal level of just teaching them from when they're young. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing, so I've done, I also was a chef. I didn't actually go to culinary school. I just learned cooking, but I also started out doing a lot of nutrition education work exactly in the way that you're talking about, like trying to really connect with people where they're at and what they're, what the foods are that they're used to, and then start there as like, how can they um, work on making it better? And um, can you share some specific things around how you um, in doing nutrition education, take people's culture and food preferences and ways of eating into account when you're also trying to help them eat in life-giving ways. Yeah, so I just try to keep in mind, I, I'm, you know, I'm Guatemalan. I don't know everything about every culture. So I really just do like my research and try to see like, what are some of their typical foods that they eat every day um, and like common foods for them. And I try to use like similar you know, use the ingredients or use like similar flavor profiles. Um, so like over the summer, I also try to like introduce the kids to like new things. So one of the things that I made with them was um, a play on like spring rolls. So I got like rice paper and we filled it with like cucumbers and like mango and carrots. And we try to like just show them, you know, they've never been exposed to this type of food before. So it was really awesome and they were like having fun with the rice paper and like like, this is so sticky it feels weird (laughs) but you know they're kids they had fun with it and I think that you know those baby steps um in the long run hopefully they'll like impact their lives so I really just do my research and try to see like okay like what are some typical foods from different parts of the world and how can we try and like make something healthy using those same flavor profiles Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you too that like getting kids to try new things is so important and so whatever that looks like because sometimes I find that parents impose on the kids like oh no no they don't like that but like kids exactly. don't know that yet so like exactly. don't you don't have to tell them that just let them try yeah, <laughs> yeah. projecting yeah. Yeah. um one thing that this is reminding me a lot and 
also Genesis and I talk about this kind of stuff all the time. That's we, awesome. We like fall into these rabbit holes about sharing about each of our food cultures. Yeah. Um, so I've learned a lot. <laughs> um, but one thing that I am that comes up is that, you know, you mentioned that there's some stuff that you didn't like when you were younger, but then when you get older, you know, it's something that you, mm-hmm. um, uh, for example, I was traveling a lot for uh, work and school. And I realized that uh, I just crave Indian food whenever I'm anywhere. And I don't feel fulfilled until I have Indian food. Um, Because even though I might have resisted when I was younger, um, this is what I actually crave. And so recently, um, I was actually talking to Austin about this. Um, I had gone to a nutritionist, uh, just, um, you know, wanted to see what recommendations they had and Um, but they were unable to, I I told them what kind of foods that I eat, what kind of things, uh, because specifically I'm South Indian. So, um, we have kind of, and, and I'm vegetarian, I'm specifically lacto vegetarian, so I've never eaten meat. So I have, you know, a a certain diet that I folk that I, um, kind of stick to. And it was kind of hard, you know, the nutritionist was recommending certain things that aren't part of my food culture and uh, palate, and it, it became ineffective, right? Um, I wasn't able to kind of incorporate any of their suggestions into the way that I eat. Mm. And when you told them what your diet was, were they able to give you other suggestions or they really didn't get it? Um, I think they were they were trying to, but they just really didn't have the knowledge. Um, and I don't think they really had access to any tools that would help them uh, kind of be able to create something that I, I they could you know, it was just very American um, based. I mean, but what does that mean anyway? Right. But, you know, <laughs> like um, it was n- not part of my food culture. There was very little variety. And, yeah. you know, it was like eat this pasta with this, you know, with like, you know, tomatoes and kale. And, yeah, and that's exactly. what you should eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You said you all talk about your food cultures a lot. What does that look like? Are you sharing recipes or mm-hmm. just? <laughs> we, <laughs> we, <laughs> sit there and we you know we share different um uh dishes and we describe them and then we google them so we yeah. <laughs> so we can show each other what they look like and it's just you know there's just one thing that i always talk about um that's a staple for me and it's uh very south indian it's called thyrasadam which is that's um the name in tamil which is a south indian language and it's yogurt rice or curd rice mm-hmm. um and that's what i eat um it's like plain yogurt mixed with rice and um, that's, you know, I don't actually eat plain rice. I prefer yogurt rice to eat with whatever vegetable I make or, mm. or even we talk about, you know, the term curry is actually very meaningless <laughs> to, um, Indians and, um, curry actually refers to, you know, hundreds of different, of different varieties of a mix of spices. Um, but you know, people will come up to me like, do you like curry? Oh <laughs> it's gosh. like, well, which one? <laughs> Natha actually introduced me to takeaway, so <laughs> with the three of us will occasionally go out on We've lunch been breaks. Known to, yeah. <laughs> to go to lunch breaks at the local yeah. restaurant takeaway. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So Austin, what got you on this path into food and food and social justice work? Yeah, it's uh long and winding, but um I mean I think growing up, uh my parents were really interested in cooking and, and food and um, so having that around uh, in the house was like a super big deal. Um, 
like we would spend Saturday mornings watching the Food Network and sort of gushing over Ina Garten and then uh, sort of raising our eyebrow at uh, the show Semi Homemade with Sandra Lee, if anyone's familiar. <laughs> um, yeah, and then also in middle school, um, I had what I like to call my Al Gore phase, uh, and I'm not sure how many middle schoolers um, have an <laughs> Al Gore phase, but um, yeah, I was like reading an inconvenient truth and like climate change was this big scary thing, you know, even 12 years ago um, that that like, you know, really sort of motivated me to become interested in environmental issues and um, uh, the, the ways that um, I think food seemed like this very tangible thing to sort of uh you know address these very sort of invisible um and global problems um so uh that turned like that sort of turned into this like you know individualized response to big giant scary problem of like oh going to the farmer's market with mom was like a way to 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 address this and um you know thinking more about um the role that the food system plays in in climate change um but when i was in high school um i went to uh, growing power in milwaukee um which uh under the leadership of will allen um was really bringing um these conversations about uh systemic racism and and food apartheid although i think food desert was still sort of the lingo of the day um to this sort of this um power analysis to food systems um which was like okay this is like this is it this is like the silver bullet and this is what i want to study and so um i came to yale to do just that and and um it also i think um thinking about like the shortcomings of you know supporting your local farmers market in addressing issues of of um race and class and climate um really gave me pause to think like oh like like am i part of the problem and what do i do so that i am uh at least conscious of that or can 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 do work in a way um that is uh that makes space for other people um and because i think like what genesis and latha have been raising about nutrition as being this very like prescriptive or controlling or top-down or sort of inconsiderate um, uh, sort of way of addressing a problem is like part and parcel with the history of how food policy has been done um, in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and thinking about how food policy can instead be like an act of making space and, and building community. I think that's what drew me to the New Haven Food Policy Council specifically. Um, and that's sort of the role that I see it playing in, in fostering like these very conversations and, and actions based on those conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that 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 piece is so important about um, and, and is a connection between kind of the, the top, like the big level, the macro systems level and the individual kind of grassroots one on one level of things is that food policy, as you're saying, like the importance of it actually being informed by and guided by what's really, what the actual problems are on the ground mm -hmm. and getting information about like what would be effective solutions that first of all actually care about 
to most of the people, right? Not just the people making money and, um, and that are actually like open to having kind of that input into, into the policy making process. And that is what we try, what we were trying to do in, yeah. in the New Haven Food Policy Council. And, um, and so I appreciate you bringing that up. And, you know, I'm, it's interesting, like you have, I've known you for a few years and you, unlike most people who come to Yale, have been really integrated into the city of New Haven and also really conscious of power dynamics mm. and um, your role as a white man, but also as a gay man and also as just someone coming from Yale into the city. And I would love to know just kind of what helped you to kind of have the approach to working in community um, and working on these issues that you do that's really different than kind of the average person who comes in. Oh, I don't know. Um, well, what made you what made you realize that like you needed to be aware of how to leave space for other people or kind of be humble in the way you're working or I think it's a bunch of different things. I think um I was a senior at Yale College when a lot of the conversations around um race on campus and racism on campus were um like huge um so this is when the the window was smashed is is it that, that was um, happening? i the think that was, was like the summer the after okay. but in the fall of 2015 um a group of organizers on campus um mostly queer women of color um like expressed all of these demands and articulated all of the ways in which like yale was this very hostile space and to hear that um and like and not necessarily have noticed it for the four years I was on campus was like, a, wow. a, 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 like a, like, holy, I don't know if I can swear, no. but like I a wake up call. Yeah. It was a wake <laughs> up. It was like, what I'm doing something wrong or something is, something is not right that I had very little understanding of what was going on or how mm. people were feeling um, in a space that like I had felt relatively comfortable in. Um, and like that, I think was the impetus for me to be like, okay, I need to like, I need to read things and I need to talk to people and I need to like, like get with the program because, um, <laughs> so, so I like, owe a lot of the work I do and a lot of the way I approach my work to like the unpaid and often unrecognized labor of my classmates who were like losing sleep for months of the fall of 2015 to bring the change that they wanted to see to campus. And yeah, I, like I had a newspaper column at the time. And to, so to think that I had like this platform that I was using like to write pretty like, you know, like nonsensical or like, uh, like inconsequential thing. Like it just all came to a T in this really um, wonderful way. And um, in, I decided to stay in New Haven. Um, I worked for two years at the Yale Sustainable Food Program, shout out, um, and like really used that as an opportunity to like continue to explore, like not explore, that's such a colonizing way to say it, mm -hmm. um, but to like consider like how I could think about these things in relation to food and agriculture and um like what my role in bringing about that same change that my classmates had wanted to see um, could be in the world. And um, that so, also meant like having the flexibility to 
get more involved in New Haven and think about um, things that way. And and I think like also as like a queer person, like knowing in a similar way, right? Like knowing that like what affords me the ability to like not be harassed by police uh, or to exist in public space um, in a way that like I feel very comfortable. Like I owe that to like the the labor of like trans women of color like throwing bricks at stonewall and and like literally dying for that ability that i have and to think that that like particularly gay white men um today like don't aren't like you know building community with people of color or like paying that forward um and instead we're like think like so much political energy was put into like our right to get married rather than you know securing health care for trans people like very basic needs like is just like is shocking and i think it's like that kind of considering my own position and 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 wondering how to how to use that power responsibly um mm -hmm. that's a lot of what gets me going mm -hmm. that's awesome thank you for sharing that yeah thanks for making the space yeah Oh, I could out. ask you a thousand more questions, but before <laughs> this show is over, I want to hear a little bit about each of you has these different orientations to this work in food and community and politics and, you know, all these different issues, environmental issues. I would love to hear a little from each of you about your vision for kind of what you'd like to see change. And that could be like on a really local level, on a, on a much larger scale level. Just what are some of the things that you're focused on or ways that you want to see change happen? Um, yeah. um, I think for me, it would be because I have like, you know, this background in culinary nutrition and really passionate about like, you know, educating and nutrition education. I think for me, it would be I envision not just New Haven, but I would envision a world where like all people, you know, people of color have the same like opportunities to really grow themselves. Um, you know, financially so that the, we don't have problems like food insecurity, like what I was mentioning. Um, and it's not just about like, you know, leading them to a food pantry or soup kitchen, but honestly, so that people don't have to resort to those things, that people would be able to have the opportunities that a same, you know, a white male has to financially better themselves, um, but also a community that's healthy and they've been informed of like ways that they can live a healthier lifestyle not just through nutrition, but like, you know, enjoying the outside. And I think I, I was able to really um, delve into that with my work in New Haven Farms. Um, just being outside, just go outside, enjoy, um, enjoy our community and really just live a healthy lifestyle and live happy um, and, you know, be able to succeed, whether that not just financially, but, you know, have like a good like mental health, like go outside, it helps you. It makes you feel better about yourself. Like just go outside and enjoy the world. I, don't, I just don't want to see people suffering. I think that it's really sad that um, New Haven specifically has a high rate of, of food insecurity. Like I, I don't want to see that. I don't think that that should be a thing in the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because I feel like people could hear what you're saying and be like, oh, that's such like a la-la land. Like yeah, everybody. But, but so this is the thing though, because I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, what if the people in our government and people on a global level actually made decisions and policies and laws yeah. that were based on the framing that we want all people to have 
what they need to thrive and survive. Yeah. Right. Like, which is what you're saying. But it's like, if you take it onto that level, like our laws, like deregulation, deregulation of all things is about letting corporations whose goal is to make money decide how laws and practices and policy should happen. Right. But if our government was making laws based on all people, regardless of their class Mm -hmm. around their race, around their gender, their sexual identity, anything, we're able to have health care and food and housing and education and jobs and clean air to breathe and all those things like that that is the goal right so it's not mm-hmm. like a la la land thing it's like our legislators <laughs> but should, i also should have think to do that. that people need to be like more informed and want to be informed because i feel like i used to be that person and i know a lot of people that like don't really like look into these things or mm. think about these things and it's just so important like you can't just live your life and you know go to work and i used to be that person that would like go to work go home go sleep that's it you know you need to like really just be aware of your surroundings and be knowledgeable of what's happening in your community and um you know i'm so thankful that i've met you know everyone in this room because they've taught me and they've like just shown me a lot and i think that people just need to be informed they need to have that like will to learn what's happening in their world like we're living in this world like don't just be caught up in your bubble of work you know like i think it's super important for the community to be informed and really want to work towards a better future for everyone mm. yeah Would you um, like to share? Yeah, yeah so thinking i totally agree and kind of just thinking with the you know policy in mind because that's kind of you know the work that i'll be tackling um i think it's really important to think of things as you can create an enabling environment for all these things if you work on the policy, just like you said, Pagan. And um, and it needs to be informed by grassroots work and, mm-hmm. and things that have already been uh, percolating in uh, New Haven for a very long time. So I think that um, kind of focusing on these enablers is something that I'd like to see happen. For example, you know, this strong focus on kind of uh, food pantries and emergency food assistance. Very important. One component of the food system. There are many things that we could be working on. And I think that, you know, if we, um, you know, also kind of look at the links to uh, capitalism and, you know, how some of these things are actually, you know, in, in a way, you know, these large corporations want food insecurity to continue because, for example, Kraft, one-sixth of their sales is from uh, is through SNAP. Um, and, you know, if if you actually, like, move people out of food insecurity, where are those sales going to go for them for, you know, their profits? So kind of connecting some of these local, everyday things to the larger policy environment and actually working toward enabling uh, moving away from that, I think that's kind of, you know, like the policy focus of what I'd like to see happen. Yeah. Can you share in practice? Because, I mean, as you're saying, like, we don't want anyone in our city to be going hungry. So mm-hmm. it's not like we're saying, like, don't feed of people in food pantries. Yeah. But on this this larger level of how to address, like, all the other food issues about, like, why we have the circumstances we do, um, what are, are there, is there, like, a thing that you feel most passionate about that you feel like at a city level that we could have an impact on yeah i think i mean there's some things that um we're just starting to get work uh starting work on 
Um, one thing is kind of developing institutional partnerships. So, you know, these are, you know, huge institutions that have a big buying power within the city. And I think if we focus on that, for example, focus on trying to buy more locally and regionally, you know, staying within Connecticut, um, working with distributors that are local, you're actually bringing back kind of jobs and economic security back into New Haven. Um, and this is, you know, one kind of uh, inroad to try to strengthen this food ecosystem in New Haven. And one of the first institutional partnerships that we're going to, uh, that we've been working on is with New Haven Public Schools. Um, so that's one exciting thing. And then, you know, with uh, Genesis mentioned some of the breastfeeding and like first food work that we're starting on. Um, that's exciting that someone actually came to us, you know, after reading the food action plan, um, mm -hmm. which you helped develop. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, they, they said, you know, we're looking for resources. We saw the strategy in the food action plan. What's going on with that? And I'm like, this is the perfect time to be working on it. So we're looking at breastfeeding resources, um, lactation support around New Haven and what kind of policies can be created to actually support uh, strengthening that in New Haven because first food is, you know, the most important. It sets you up for the rest of your life. So Yeah, that's mm -hmm. great. Well, I look forward to hearing more from you too as you, you've only been working at this a couple months. And yes. so, yeah. and I know there's been work going on here yeah. for years that I had previously been super engaged in, but I'm excited now that you bring like these other skills and also this kind of global work that you've done, we didn't even talk about, but mm -hmm. the more global work that you've done um, and, and to hear kind of the insights that you start to have about what we can do more effectively in our city. So yes. I look forward to future yes, conversations. I'm Only two and a half months in, so I have <laughs> lots of things awesome. that are coming. <laughs> Great. And Austin, just, you know, you've been working with the Food Policy Council for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. um, and doing various projects. Can you share just, we just have a, a minute left. Can you share um, kind of what you're hoping, what you think would be effective for, for some next steps with work? I think there's um, been a lot of interest um, with uh, the role of like labor in food systems and thinking about how like centering, um, protecting workers specifically has the benefits of uh, addressing issues of food insecurity because food systems workers um, among all of the ways they experience oppression um, whether that be like because they are undocumented or because they don't speak English or because they uh, are gender non-conforming or women um, and experience like sexual violence in the workplace that is goes unreported um, like that is a really they like centering them in our work um, can really um, see a lot of promise and um, and also like in a structural way address food uh, insecurity in maybe a way that like more charity-based approaches to addressing food insecurity cannot. Mm -hmm. um, and then in terms of like what we want to see in the future, like yeah. I think we have to think a lot about planned obsolescence and like what does that mean that means like we need to like work ourselves out of the work we do um es when it especially when it comes to like the the nonprofit organizations who are doing work around health or around food or around you, you know any sort of these any kind of these systems like if we actually want to bring about a world in which the problems we're claiming to solve are fixed then like we wouldn't need those organizations to continue right. to fix them in the first place. 
Um, so how can we do our work in a way that like sort of plans for that or accounts for that um, in like a very beautiful way? Yeah. I also think we need to see Yale tax. <laughs> um, the future I want to see is one in which uh, we have a civilian review board with power <laughs> and yes. one in which Nelson Pinos is not living in the basement of a church. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you're local and you don't know what Austin was just talking about, look up those two things and get involved because we need we need both of those things to happen. And the civilian review board is also um, coming up, I think, very soon for review again with the Board of Alders. So, so definitely get involved. So thank you all so much for joining me today. And um, if you have any recipes you want to share or links to organizations or things you think people should read, why don't you send them to me and we'll put them up on the tableunderground.com so people can find them. And, and we'll share links to so people can learn more about each of you and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to WNHH 103.5 FM in New Haven. This is The Table Underground, and I'm your host, Tegan Engel. Thanks for listening.